welcome to the Bikes and Podcast, a podcast about bikes, but more about the people that ride them, the communities that they build, and the stories they create than conversations about the latest shock technology, wheel sizes, and how to improve your Strava time. Every two weeks, I interview people with a story to tell, an event to promote, or a cause they are passionate about. If you'd like to be on the podcast or have an idea for a story I should cover, please contact us. You can go to the bikesand.net website and click on contact in the navbar. My Twitter handle is at mybikesand, and my Instagram feed can be found at bikes.and. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bikes and Podcast and that you have a great ride. Before we get started on today's podcast, I thought you might be interested in learning about a great movie available on Amazon Prime, Amazon.com, and Amazon Instant Watch. Spiders Will Eat Your Face, or How America Got Pet Tarantulas. How have tarantulas become a pet in the USA? How is something like that allowed, legal, or safe? This original American practice of keeping tarantulas has its roots in the Wild West, a U.S. government waging war on Mexico, racial relations, and even the great Louis Pasteur. Told in stop motion, Mike Fallock meets experts, dealers, and collectors who show you how the world of spiders works. You can find a link to this movie on the bikesand.net website. Now to today's podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 19, Bikes and the Rwandan Cycling Team. The most devastating circumstances can yield the most powerful and unexpected forms of hope. My podcasts have included conversations with people for whom this statement defines their indomitable human spirit, their refusal to allow a tragedy to define their lives, and frankly, sheer bloody-mindedness and determination. No offense to them, but today's podcast takes that theme to a whole different level. It's 1994, and Rwanda, a landlocked country on the eastern side of Africa, was in the midst of one of the worst genocides in history. There's a map showing you where Rwanda is on the bikesand.net website. It was here that a mass slaughter of the Tutsi minority by members of the Hutu majority government took place. In a hundred days, more than one million Tutsis were slaughtered, representing about 70% of their population. Without going into too many details, people were less often killed by a rifle's bullet and more likely to die at the hands of a machete-wielding madman. At that time, a bicycle equaled life. If you had a bicycle, you might escape the slaughter. If you had a bicycle, you could try to make your way to safety, too afraid maybe to look back at the staggering and stomach-churning displays of man's inhumanity to man. A Tutsi-backed militia turned the tide and the conflict ended, but of course not the suffering. Whole families had been decimated. Returning to a normal life proved hard, but as is so often the case, the survivors found a way. A documentary called Rising from the Ashes, available on iTunes, details how some of those survivors were given a reason to hope by cycling legend Jock Boyer. Jock was the first American to enter the Tour de France and is a member of the United States Cycling Hall of Fame. Jock was invited to Rwanda by another cycling legend, Tom Ritchie. He was the first production mountain bike builder in the history of the sport 
and encouraged, cajoled, and maybe bullied a little to help a fledgling Rwandan cycling team not only get off the ground, but also, amazingly, managing to attend and compete in the London Olympics in 2012 in both road and mountain bike disciplines. As they got better and better and learned to suffer more and more, the riders of Team Rwanda gave their countrymen a vision of something greater than themselves and their history, and that was a hope for the future. Scroll forwards to 2017, and the Rwandan cycling team will be racing at this year's inaugural Colorado Classic Pro Cycling Race. I interviewed Ken Gart about this event in episode 16. This invitation was in part thanks to David Koff of RPM Events, one of the backers of the event. David saw the Rising from the Ashes movie and sought out Jock. Part of our vision, David said, for the Colorado Classic and the accompanying Velorama Festival is to highlight the power of the bike to bring people together, improve health and build stronger communities. Through a series of fortunate events, I was recently introduced to Jock Boyer, and he has kindly agreed to be on this podcast, joining me from his U.S. home in Wyoming. He once said, Team Rwanda is not just about bicycles. It's about relationships. It's about reconciliation. It's about groups of people that in another situation wouldn't get along. But in this situation, they are allies. They are teammates, and they have become lifelong friends. Jock Boyer, good evening and welcome to the Bikes and Podcast. It's an honor to have you on this show. Good evening. Thank you for having me, Ben. Not at all. I tell you, uh, condensing this incredible story into a 45-minute or so podcast is going to be a bit of a tough order, but let's give it a go. That's good. Uh, Look, help me connect the dots here. How on earth did a former professional bike racer get from the USA to Rwanda? How did Tom Ritchie convince you to get involved in this adventure um, I'm assuming there's some element of unintended consequences here, but uh, give us some some background on how your adventure began. It did. It was Tom Ritchie who called me up, asked me to go over. He was organizing uh, what was at the time the first wooden bike classic, a mountain bike race, which also had a little element of the wooden bikes in Rwanda in it. And I agreed to go over there for 11 days. It was a trip that was organized by a bunch of people. And after the trip, that I thought initially that was going to be my last, first and last time in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. But uh, the race went really well, the mountain bike race. We saw some pretty good talent. So over the next few months, Tom and uh, some of his friends, Dan Cooper, Pep Jackson, uh, they said, let's, why don't you go over there and just do some tests? So I agreed to go over there for three months to test riders. And after that, it's, you know, it just, just happened. You know, I ended up staying longer and three months became a year, it became two years. And now it's been over 10 years. Yeah. It's like one of those, one thing led to another type stories. Yes. Initially in the beginning, well, actually, for the first seven years, we only had enough funding for three months mm. all the time. Right. So I always was thinking, you know, well, in a couple months, I'll be going home. So it never it, it just happened until uh, two and a half years ago, we, we, we received a grant from the Walton Family Foundation mm. that enabled us to actually know we were going to stay for at least another three years. 
That's super. The, the Walton Foundation is incredible. I believe uh, one of the backers of the Colorado Classic as well. Um, Absolutely. Which is, which and is super. Uh, Rob Walton and his nephews and quite a few of the family ride bikes. They've done an ama amazing amount of trails uh, in, I think it's uh, right where the, the Walmart uh, main base is in, in Arkansas and Colorado. I know they've done a lot of efforts in conservation and mountain bike trails. So great. it's great to be part of their organization. And without them, we never would have gone as far as we've gone. Absolutely. Um, the one and only Adrian Nianschuti uh, said uh, it was the first time I'd used the brakes and they actually worked. I love that uh, quote from the movie about sums up the situation you inherited uh, describe what things were like when you first started working with the team. Uh, it was actually pretty remarkable. Uh, we had bikes that were from the 80s. We had Eddie Marks's Concords, <laughs> all bikes that seemed to have been left or given uh, from Belgian occupation or Belgian rule there. Right. So they were all from Belgium. Hmm. A lot of campy equipment and very few gears worked. They were constantly... Uh, breaking down things like that but uh it was uh it was it was very challenging from from the very beginning it sounds like it uh, well I, I don't want to draw too much on the, on the past i'd love to, i'd love to know about how things are um today but um you know looking back at that film um which i've watched uh, like three times i think at this point uh, it uh, is, is just a stunning example of uh, perseverance. And, and as I say in my introduction, I would imagine a certain amount of sheer bloody mindedness just to just to keep keep going. Um, uh, go ahead. No, go ahead, John. No, I'm just saying, you know, it's it was very challenging, but at the same time, it was rewarding. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were always little glimpses of hope, like working with Nathan or Nathan or Adrian or Rafiki, mm -hmm. just little glimpses of hope that you were maybe affecting their lives. Yep. So that kept me going. I'll bet. Um, while it, it must have been somewhat of a disappointment for Adrian to have missed that place on the on the road bike team that went to London uh, for the Olympics, um, and I, I may, this may be a very obvious question, but what did it mean for him to represent his country in 2012, uh, both in the mountain biking competition and, and carrying the flag? He seems like, um, just from again from watching the movie, uh, someone who thinks a bit higher than just, you know, it was an honor. What, what, what did it mean to him, do you think? I think, I think with Adrian, it meant... Uh, an impact that would be lifelong, not just on his life, but on many other lives. Yeah. I think he realized his ambassador role within Rwanda. And I know that deep down inside, he really wanted cycling to succeed. And I think he realized being at the Olympics, this was one of many stepping stones that was going to create a real culture of racing, cycling, whether that be in mountain biking or road biking in his his own country. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, what, it's been some time since that movie. It was sort of pretty, pretty much wrapped up in 2012. Um, what, what has happened to some of the characters? And, and they all seem like characters for sure. Rafiki, Nathan, Abraham, you know, th those guys, are they still riding in the team or what are they up to these days? 
Uh, that's a great question, actually. The team members that were the original members are really our most valuable players. Mm -hmm. Rafiki retired about four years ago, and he wanted to be a mechanic. What we do is when a rider is starting to age out, mm -hmm. we ask him what he really wants to be. And Rafiki wanted to be a mechanic, so we sent him to mechanic school in the UCI. We started bringing him on races. We started really spending a lot of time with him as a mechanic. Mm -hmm. Nathan uh, wanted to be a coach, so he has been training, in training, being a coach. He brought his first team to South Africa for the junior track championships and came back with three medals. Wow. Uh, the UCI wants to uh, bring him to Switzerland for two and a half months training the juniors for the world championships in Norway. Uh, we have Abraham also wants to be a coach. So as the riders age out, they pick what they really want to be, some mechanics, some uh some soigneurs, Obed has been like six years now as our top soigneur. So we bring him to all the, or most all of the races. So uh, they're able to bring the new riders in, teach them really how to do things properly. They all still ride, so they're keeping fit. Mm -hmm. And they're a very integral part of the team. Fantastic. I do have one last question for you relating to the movie. Um, tell me about that crow magpie uh, pet of yours. I'm very curious. Uh, that was Jumbo, and it was a pied crow, and that's why you saw the white on it. And yeah. it's indigenous to Africa. Uh -huh. So he fell out of a nest before he could fly, and I picked him up, and he became one of my fun friends. Seems and like it. Yeah, he was he was an amazing bird. He eventually flew off because he was a wild bird, and uh, he was he was a big asset to the family. <laughs> I bet that he was. Uh, do you have any other uh, what what animals do you have these days? Well, we still have dogs. We still have the cat. We brought them all back to to Wyoming. So um, actually, that's a, a nice connection now between you know we're talking to you uh, in the U.S. Um, you uh, you still maintain a home over there in Rwanda? What what's that con connection? We have a, a three acre compound in Rwanda. It's got sixteen houses. We have a big uh, kitchen. We have a big, uh, really high tech uh, mechanic workshop uh, service course. We uh, we still do. I still do maintain a house over there. We go over on a. Uh, I've only been in the States a month and a half, two months. Mm -hmm. And though we're basing more out of the States, we still travel back and forth and maintain the team from the U.S. because we're needing to get into more international races. We need to do more fundraising events. Right. And we can only really do that while we're in America because that's where our sponsor base and our support base mostly is. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's talk about today's team. Um, tell, tell us about, you know, how many people you have, you have in the team. I believe you had a, have a, both a men and a women's team at this point. What, what does that, um, what does that team look like today? Well, we actually have quite a few programs going. We have a whole, uh, junior program. We have a U23 program elite. My wife is handling a lot of the women's and she's also working, or we all are working in, other African countries, including 
some in Eritrea, some in Ethiopia, uh, Nigeria, uh, and some of the other countries. We're just, we want to be a base, even in Rwanda, where we can train, whether it's athletes, mechanics, swaniers, coaches, uh, admin for racing. We want the Rwanda Cycling Center, the Africa Rising Cycling Center, we want it to be a base where all of African federations and cycling uh, people can come and train and get very high-level training. Hmm. Our goal really is to raise the level of cycling in Africa on all levels. Yeah, um, I would I would imagine that's quite. I mean, if you look at you know the the from from small beginnings, what this has grown into. Could you ever have imagined looking looking you know forward if you were able to uh, that this would be what the program looked like in two thousand seventeen, all those years later? Uh, absolutely not. And actually, ten years is pretty short to have, have come to this level. And it you know the. Working with the Rwandan government and working with the multitude of people that are on board with us, uh, whether they be expats or even Rwandans, it's it's been really good. We have a very big backing, not just from the Ministry of Sports and the Cycling Federation, but also President Kagame likewise. Right. And we have an American coach now, Sterling Magnell, who's been really instrumental in getting the riders to an even higher level. Uh, my wife, Kimberly, is still working hard on just everything, getting the logistics going, getting new sponsors, getting fundraisers. I mean, it's daunting the amount of work that we have and that actually we get done. Uh, how many people are involved on the support side of the team then, uh, you know, at, at the actual facility in Rwanda? In Rwanda, I think we have about 15 employees right mm. now. Wow. So it's it's actually, in addition to the riders, it's a, it's a big impact on the local economy as well, I would imagine. Uh, yes, it is. And not just the local economy, but the, the locals learning because... For example, the mechanics. We have three to five mechanics with us every single day from Rwanda mm -hmm. taking training courses as as level one, two, and three national level mechanics because each club, we have now 10 clubs in Rwanda, cycling clubs, right. and each one of those need a competent mechanic in order to service the bikes that are all of a sudden coming into the country. Right. Um, Recently, I met with uh, President Kagame and told him that we need to, well, something had to be done about the high import duties for bicycles and bicycle components. At the time, it was 100%. <laughs> and overnight, he reduced it to 0%. So <laughs> I think now That'll it's do. going to be, I mean, it's, a, it's either a go or no go because now we'll be able to have bike stores in Kigali or Musanze or some of the other big cities. Yeah. Now we can actually get decent bikes at decent prices without, without having the hindrance of having to pay you know, massive taxes, uh, which would have kind of stopped the whole program going forward. Yeah. So the people who were on uh, sort of at, the, at the highest levels of your teams, uh, are they household names, maybe in the same way that sports people are in the U.S.? 
Absolutely. All our writers are heroes within their own country. And, you know, the ones that that ride and train abroad, uh, we have Joseph Alleluia, who just won a stage at the U23 Giro d'Italia. I saw that. He, you know, Adrian is still on the World Tour team, mm-hmm. did the Dauphiné, and perhaps this year we'll do one of the Grand Tours. But uh, at home, they're heroes. At home, everybody knows who they are. Even the older ones are extremely well known. Yeah, and and I, I suppose that's half the battle. If you've got people uh, who the kids look up to um, and and want to emulate, uh, there's your growth of the sport right there. Right, and that's where, like you said, it's the all these generations now want to ride bikes and. Now, with the import duties lower, they are all of a sudden going to have access because when Sterling or myself or now Nathan and Abraham go out and test riders, we have a surprising amount of people within the population that are really have high, you know, power numbers, power to weight numbers. So a very large segment of the population has the aerobic and natural capacity to be a bike rider. Obviously, not all of those will make it as a cyclist because it takes more than just brute power and ability to climb up hills, but it also takes tactics and shifting and understanding, you know, wind and echelons and things like that. But there is a surprising high number of athletic ability within the Rwandan population. I, I believe it. Um, I, know, I only have to look at other endurance sports, uh, marathons, for example, uh, 10Ks, you know, those types of races to see how much African nations dominate those sports. So it's not, uh, not surprising in any way. Mm. Um, so uh, who, are the, who are the companies that, that really are sponsoring the team? I would imagine that in, a, in today's world of professional sports, there, there are a number of those. But who, who are the, so who's really leading the charge there? Well, as far as within our team? Yeah. Uh, as far as sponsors, like for Colorado Classic, we just got a really new sponsor called Thorn. Mm-hmm. They do... Uh, supplements for athletes, and I think they're going to be one of our very significant uh, future sponsors because they do a whole line of performance nutritional products and are willing to study the team, study the morphology, the physiology, the aerobic capacity, what the what the black athlete needs compared to a Caucasian athlete, yeah. and. I think it's going to be very significant, our partnership with Thorne, because it's going to bring us to an even higher level. Uh-huh. And within the industry, we still have incredible sponsors that have been with us since the very beginning. We have Victoria Tires. Mm-hmm. We have Reynolds Wheels. We have Look. We have CD, Louis Garneau, Oakley. And... You know, among other people, it's just been amazing. The industry has been so supportive of everything we've done from the very, very beginning. 
I, I did see on your website, Jock, that you are supported by Stan's No Tubes, which I assume is a Stan's is awesome. Yes, yeah, every time we call them, it's just like, okay, what do you need? Yeah. And Campagnolo's been really good. Pinarello's been great. Right. Cella uh, Italia. I mean, it just is goes on and on. That's great. That that, that is one of the uh, great things about this sport are and, the, those companies. And another thing that's important too is like Park Tool. Uh, we do so many mechanic courses and there are no tools in Africa or, you know, let alone Rwanda. So right. Park Tool has been so amazing over the last like five, six years, mm -hmm. getting us tools when we need it. All these mechanics that graduate get a little toolkit and the ability to, to, to get tools at a, at a much less reduced price. Right. Uh, that that's super to hear. So moving on to the actual Colorado Classic um, coming up here in August. Uh, your Colorado roots go pretty deep, I think. I think I'm right in saying that you actually won the Course Classic in 1980. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And I was second at the uh, Red Zinger in '79. <laughs> the Red Zinger too. So a lot of legacy, and uh, now you're bringing your team to race in the Colorado Classic. What what does that mean to you? It's actually pretty, pretty darn amazing. Uh, Colorado's been, I've lived here. Uh, I've lived here for quite a few years when I was training and racing. Mm -hmm. And just come, I love the high altitude. I love the, the, the dry air. It's, ju it's just amazing to have the team, uh, team come back here. And I, I, again, I hope I've checked my facts correctly. You were born in Moab uh, as well, obviously a uh, mountain bike mecca for many of us. Um, I bet that place has changed since your childhood. Moab has changed in a certain <laughs> way. The, uh, our old house is still there. Uh -huh. And I will have you know, I was riding Slick Rock <laughs> in the 60s. There you go, on what? So And 70s on just little bikes because we <laughs> lived right near Slick Rock. Mm -hmm. And I always just loved to go up and the traction. And I think my first bike was a Huffy. So there you go. Uh, that was in the early 60s. I was up there in Moab riding my bike. That, that's great. Love that place. Taking a bit of a mid-podcast break here to tell you about the movie Spiders Will Eat Your Face. We hope you check out the film, which is about tarantulas as pets today, and how the tarantula is wrapped up with some of America's hardest moments, including the annexation of Mexico, the Wild West, rabies, and the Civil War. Available on Amazon Prime, Amazon.com, and Amazon Instant Watch. Back to the podcast now with Jock Boyer from the Rwandan cycling team. What what can you tell us about the team then that you are bringing to to race in the Colorado Classic, Jock? Uh we have the team captain is Jean-Claude Wizehe, mm -hmm. uh, and he's done the tour of Colombia. He just aged out of U23, so he's just 24. He is he's a he's a one of our all over you know riders that can do almost anything. He was in the winning break in the U23 race at the Worlds in Doha. He's the only one of our riders that was in the front group. Uh, we have Bosco, who won the Tour of Aranda seven, uh, several years ago. And he's probably our most significant climbers. Mm. 
he's when he's on his game, the guy's got more power to weight than any anybody we've seen ever. He's just incredible. Mm-hmm. It just we're just hoping he can adapt to the altitude and the heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have last year's uh, national champ- champion Bonaventure, who actually is here in Wyoming. He just came from two weeks with uh, a Canadian team. Lowest rates. Uh, lowest rates. And we also have Gasori Hatigeka, who's in the film, and who just won the Nationals a couple of days ago on Sunday. Who was the so, uh, Who was the gentleman that you had in Denver a couple of weeks ago? That was Bonaventure. Got it. Okay. Wizimana. Got it. And he came from uh, Canada to Denver, and then we brought him up here at altitude in Wyoming, where he's changed, uh, training. Yeah. And we have two 19-year-olds, Didier and Renee. And these guys are green under, it'll be their first real big international trip. It'll be an adaptation and a kind of a shocker for them. But uh, the Cascade Classic in the beginning will help, you know, get their legs in uh, in tune for it. And then the Colorado Classic is going to be an amazing experience for everybody. And I think the fact that they, they combined it with this whole festival mm-hmm. and it's going to be pretty significant. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. You mentioned the word uh, altitude a couple of times. I'm assuming that Rwanda is is nowhere near the altitude of Colorado, even on the front range. Um, Actually, that's not true. Oh, Rwanda, darn it. I was making assumptions again. I apologize. <laughs> what no, is the, Ro- go ahead. Our, our training uh, facilities at 6,200 feet. Oh, so, okay. But the Big difference is, and there is a difference, uh, Rwanda is on the equator pretty much. It's minus one and a half degrees. And it's very green. Mm-hmm. And it's more humid. And mm-hmm. the dry altitude here in Colorado, Wyoming, has a very different feel to it. I think it impacts your metabolism more that the, than the same altitude within a equatorial zone that's very green yep. and higher humidity. I am cursing myself for not just asking you what is the altitude of your training camp. That would have been a much better way to ask that question. That's okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, I try not to be too ignorant. That, that was a stunning display of ignorance. Um, so uh, who who are the team riding for? Who do they want to get across the line Um uh, in this competition? It all, it really kind of depends on how it plays out in the very beginning. It could be Jean-Claude, it could be Bosco. Uh, I know Bona is really good at circuit racing. Gasori is good also. And I think with our team, because we're going to be up against really, really strong teams, we're, we're not going to have to like be at the front and, you know, hammer and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think Everybody on the team will be able to really see what their potential is and be able to get a real, you know, gauge on where they stand. Yep, absolutely. Um, uh, help uh, us understand the Rhino connection, would you? Yes, absolutely. As when you see us at the Colorado Classic, you'll see our jersey, and the backdrop of the jersey are there are rhinos on it. And the rhinos uh, were pretty much 
exterminated during the genocide, all except for one. And 10 years, when we came to Rwanda to start filming the team, our camera crew actually got footage of the only rhino left after the genocide, and it hadn't been seen for 10 years. Uh, we shared it with the government because they were very excited to know that the rhino actually was still there. And it disappeared after that, never to be seen again. But very recently, like last month, Rwanda received 18 new rhinos, uh, thanks to Howard Buffett. And it was significant that the team saw the first rhino 10 years ago. They were exterminated during the genocide. And now the rhinos are rising again in Rwanda. It's a very safe country. And the fact that they were able to get rhinos and their ability to protect them is good, uh, is significant. And that's why we put the rhinos on the jersey. And unbeknownst to us, uh, Ken Gart, who, who uh, saw the jersey, he said, did you realize that we're finishing the Colorado Classic in the rhino district? That's exactly right. And... Uh, it's just that much more appropriate that our jerseys have rhinos. They're connected to Rwanda in a really significant way. They're connected to the team. And now they're connected to this amazing, because I went down and saw the rhino district. It's just this amazing place where it's, it's lofts down there. All these people have these really cool companies. There's breweries, there's little bike shops, there's, it's really a, it's a very artistic, wholesome place, and it's going to be an amazing place to have a bike race finish. Yeah, great. What, what an amazing uh, and unintended metaphor that has been created here. It's such a, such a great story. Um, just, just out of interest, you, you, you mentioned the, the management of the team, um, and uh, you've now passed this sort of part of that onto somebody else. Do you ever see uh, a Rwandan taking over management team of at some point uh well actually uh we have some very good uh presidents of clubs in rwanda mm -hmm. and for the most part felix Sampoma, who will be in colorado and mm -hmm. he's he has his own touring company so he has his own financial ability and he buys bikes and he supports one of the biggest teams in rwanda of which we have two national champions and uh he goes to most of the international races instead of myself or Sterling, our head coach. That's great. And even in some races, we have Rafiki or another Rwandan as a mechanic. We have Obed as a soigneur. We have Felix as a director sportif. So what you're saying is already happening in Rwanda, and that is our proof of succeeding because eventually we want – the Rwandans to take over everything. And now that some of the riders are aging out, we're much more confident that the legacy will continue. The Federation is doing an incredible job at organizing races. They have a whole national circuit level. They're getting national uh, sponsors from local businesses. So they're not needing as much support either from us or the government. So it looks like Rwanda has cycling in their future 
for a quite some quite a long time now. Yeah, I'm 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 connected to Africa in a, in a certain way. My mother was born in South Africa, and I lived down there for a year or so. And um, my grandmother was in Nigeria and other places. So I'm I'm very aware of the African story, and it tends to be uh, that there's a lot of support, and and uh, you know the Western world comes to help, and doesn't quite realize that in order to create that sustained success. Uh, it, it is required to have the people take care of the management of these programs. Sounds like you are way ahead of the game there. So that, that's fantastic. Jock, um, how often do you do you take a breath? Um, maybe on a ride, you're rolling through the beautiful Rwandan countryside. And as, as many of us do, you, you know, have have some deep thoughts when you're when you're riding. Um, and do you ever think about the impact that you have had on this team, these people and the country of Rwanda, do you, do you ever take take stock of that? Actually, <clears throat> not really. Only because yes, I'm a you know I was a big part of it, but I really couldn't have done it without a multitude, an army of people behind me, and that includes you know not just personally you know like my wife who's helped me the last seven eight eight years now, mm-hmm. but also people within. The government, people, the coaches that come over, and all the people that donate ten dollars and up or five dollars—it doesn't matter. This whole program is the result of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And yes, you know, Kimberly and I were on the ground, on the front lines for you know eight myself ten years, her eight years, but. It's still we had a, we had quite some backing and a lot of prayers and a lot of people really that believed in us that kept us going. So, well, yes, I made an impact, uh, but I couldn't have done it without other people. So, no, I can't claim it. It's precisely the response I, I was expecting. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, if, if you did drink, I would buy you a beer when I see you. Uh, I will uh, get you a lemonade or something instead and give you a pat on the back because I, I think you should give yourself a pat on the back. I, th- I think you are an amazing um, person. Um, thank you for joining me this evening. You are what I believe that most special and unique breed of person. That's one of selflessness, maybe a little crazy, but that's okay. Uh, more importantly, quiet, patient, unassuming, and someone who puts other needs before yours. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, podcast listeners, you may not know this uh, through the wonders of editing, but we did have some technical challenges in the middle. Thank you very much for your patience on that. Uh, best of luck to you and the team in August, uh, and welcome back to Colorado and, and racing. Thank you, Ben, and been a pleasure to be on your program, and I look forward to meeting you at the Classic. You bet. Thank you very much, Jock. Bye-bye. All right, bye. Just before we end today's podcast, don't forget to check out the movie Spiders Will Eat Your Face, available on Amazon Prime, Amazon.com, and Amazon Instant Watch. (laughs) 